Hi guys, welcome back to Box Tablet. I'm Julie Subrin, in for Sarah Ivry. Today we have a very special guest and her cello. Last year, Elisa Weilerstein grabbed the attention of people outside the classical music world when she won a MacArthur Genius Grant. Weilerstein, who's just 30 years old, had already been well-known in the classical world for her passionate renditions of Elgar, Dvorak, Brahms, and others. She's the first cellist to be signed by the legendary Decca label in 30 years. And now, the first album to come out of that partnership has just been released. Meanwhile, she's in the midst of a busy world tour. We are so happy that Elisa agreed to take some time from that busy schedule and come into the studio and talk with us and also hopefully play some music for us. Elisa, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you so much. So we had originally planned to do this interview about three weeks ago. Right. (laughs) um, On the morning of October 29th, which, of course, proved to be rather ill-fated. Hurricane Sandy hit. New York was thrown into turmoil. And I know that for you that meant, among other things, postponing your Carnegie Hall dates. It was actually, it was one concert that was on November 1st, uh, supposed to be on November 1st, which was actually affected by that famous crane, because that that crane which uh, was dangling. And so this was right across the street from Carnegie Hall. And so Carnegie Hall was actually closed for about a week and a half. Uh. And so um, we've had to, we had to postpone that concert, sadly. But um, this was a minor issue. I mean, the the important thing that uh, was, you know, to, to, to weather it safely. So, right. Yeah. Um, also, in the intervening few weeks and unrelated to Hurricane Sandy, there was a death in the classical music family, and that was um, the composer Elliot Carter, who mm-hmm. died November 5th at the age of 103. Mm-hmm. Um, you've worked with Carter, mm-hmm. and you play his cello concerto on the new album, so I'm just wondering if you could tell us about that piece and about him as a composer. Well, you know, the the genius label is, is thrown around very easily, but I mean, if, if, I mean, if I if I think of Carter, I just I, I, the, the word genius just uh, comes comes to mind. Um, a, a really authentic genius. Um, he's a, a master architect. Um, music just emanated from every part of his being. Um, also, his affability and uh, humor and well, good humor really. Uh, he was one of those uh, few people that really makes everyone around him feel good and important and. Um, I you know I I only met him actually uh, one time and which is which is actually documented on on video I, I conducted an interview with him uh, right before I did the recording uh, with Daniel Barenboim in the Schatzkapelle uh, Berlin and um, I was asking him about the cello concerto and I played a little bit for him uh, the cello concerto itself it's it's twenty minutes very compact seven episodes it's very very dramatic kind of theatrical. It kind of begins and fits and starts, as Carter himself told me, and also I, as as becomes very clear, actually. And all of his music is extremely clear. I mean, there's not, never a single wasted note. Um, the cello starts out kind of with a recitative or kind of cadenza. So it's just play, playing alone, these uh, massive chords, um, and then it's holding a note and then tr- seemingly trying to, trying to play a melody, um, although it's not really a conventional melody. But it's constantly interrupted by the orchestra with these um, very violent uh, bangs. That that's actually the word that uh, Mr. Carter used himself. He said, "You know, you're, the poor cello is just playing, and then it's interrupted by this bang." But eventually, of course, the cello wins, and then the the music goes on. Um, and there's lots of really wonderful interplay between the cello and the orchestra. Um, it's generally very sparsely orchestrated. 
so you might actually hear the I mean the cello just in um, exchange in, in the fourth episode, for example, the cello is really just having an exchange with the brass. Um, sorry, the fifth episode, and it actually becomes uh, comes to an extremely dramatic uh, conclusion and very virtuosic for certainly for the cello part, but also for the uh, many members of the orchestra. So it's um, at risk of sounding kind of. Uh, <laughs> Uh, trite. It's really fun to listen to. Uh-huh. It's really fun to listen to this music. And um, I find you kind of grow into the language. So every time you return to it, you find new things. And um, it's, it's quite gratifying. Um, well, maybe we can play an excerpt of that. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you to play something, but do you think it would make more be sense better. to just take it off the yeah, CD? Yeah, okay. better to take it off the CD. Would you recommend the fifth episode? I'd recommend actually the seventh track. Okay. Yeah, the Allegro Fantastico, because this is this is where you hear kind of this um, kind of very skittish playing in the cello, and it's uh, set against uh, this very kind of suspenseful playing in the orchestra, and it's very dramatic. CD also includes concertos by Edward Elgar as well as Max Bruch's famous Kol Nidre. Yes. Um, and all the music was played with conductor Daniel Berenboim and the Berlin Staatskapelle. Mm-hmm. Did you choose what pieces would be on the album? How did, how did that decision get made? Well, uh, I've known uh, Daniel Berenboim f- since 2008, and uh, I had actually been trying to play for him for several years before that, but then it... it um, it finally came to fruition in uh, December 2008, and I played for him for the first time. And I played uh, Dvorak Concerto um, as well as Haydn D Major. Um, and he proceeded to kind of give me a lesson and then asked me to see him again two months uh, f- following that, so early 2009, um, where he gave me a three-hour, let's say, uh, coaching session uh, masterclass on the on the Dvorak Concerto, which he led from the piano. He was score reading and... Um, of course, he's another person where you can really apply the genius label. This um, this this man is a he's, he's a freak of nature, um, in terms of his uh, the amount of repertoire that he carries, the the knowledge he has, um, and I've learned an incalculable amount from him. Um, in any case, uh, three months later, he was in New York, and 
um, of course, he, he was married to my favorite cellist in the world, Jacqueline Dupre. Um, and she was known for her magnificent interpretations of uh, basically all the major pieces of the cello repertoire, but perhaps most importantly, the Elgar Concerto. And I grew up with that recording, um, well, actually both of her recordings, uh, with, with Barbaroli and with Barnboy, and I probably listened and watched uh, every piece of footage on her and, um, before I was 10 years old. And so she was, you know, she was always a kind of mythical figure in my imagination. <laughs> and um, so about two weeks before I was supposed to see uh, Meister Barenboim again, I ran into the man who introduced him to me, uh, the wonderful conductor Asher Fish. And he said, well, I, I hear that you're playing for Maestro a lot, and you really ought to play at the Elgar Concerto for him. And then I said, no way. I, I, I can't play the Elgar for him, possibly. Um, and he said, no, no one knows the piece the way he does. You'll learn so much from him, and um, you really, really ought to play it for him. And so he convinced me. And so two weeks later, I, I went to um, Carnegie Hall, where he was conducting a Mahler Symphony that night, and we ran through the Elgar together. Probably yeah, the hardest I want to ask you about that. Right. Well, first yeah. of all, we should say that his wife died very young. She died very, very young um, um, mm -hmm. in 1987. And but actually, she stopped playing the cello 14 years before that because she was um, she contracted multiple multiple sclerosis. And he, by and large, had avoided conducting that piece since her death, with a few exceptions. Is that right? With one exception, with, with Yoyoma, right? In, in the 90s, yeah. So for for the reasons we were talking about, this was um, probably the hardest thing that I ever did was to play the. Elgar for him for the first time. Um, we went through it. We just played through. He didn't really say very much. And then and then he said, um, he asked me to play it with the Berlin Philharmonic with him the following year. Um, and he said, well, do you want to do it? Just like that. And um, you know, I was pretty much speechless, of course, but I, I managed to I managed to say yes. And um, <laughs> I, I, I walked out of Carnegie. It was a beautiful evening in May. And I wound up in Sheep's Meadow somehow. I don't know how I got there. <laughs> I just sat down in the park and just, I was completely stunned. And then uh, I, I went to see him a few months later and we worked on the piece very, very intensively, structurally, um, musically, even technically, even though he's a pianist and conductor, he, um, he has such a deep understanding of string technique. So he would constantly ask me to do more expressive uh, fingerings and, um, really kind of focusing, you know, the ideas, of course, that I had come to, because I, I had also played the piece for a very long time. But you know, he has, all this to say, he has this amazing combination of being able to you know, improve somebody so much, yet without imposing his own extremely strong musical personality. So he basically makes uh, the player a better version of him or herself, um, which is what the best teachers do, in my opinion. And so um, we did the Berlin Philharmonic concerts, and... At that time, I, I was in talks with Decca, and uh, Maestro uh, agreed to record the Elgar with me. Um, and then he suggested that we pair it with the Carter. All right, well, I'm excited to hear how that all came together. Let's listen to a section of the Elgar Concerto now from the CD. Thank you. 
Elisa, over and over again in reviews, critics talk both about your technical skill and the passion that you bring to music. And I'm wondering where in your process of working on a piece that passion begins to come in. Is it there from the beginning in terms of your relationship to a piece of music? Or is it something that you have to kind of keep at bay? I'm just curious how they work together. Uh, it's a very it's a very good question, actually. Um, and uh, I was I just spent uh, yesterday, not no, sorry, two days ago teaching. And I said to, I don't know, I don't know how many students I said this to. Um, I, I said, you can never separate technique and music. So without the love and the well, the passion that you, I mean that you're talking about, of course, you know, in combination with you know intelligence and and understanding of the score, um, music really doesn't mean very much. So um, technique, I, I think, of as as a means to an end. Of course, without technique, you can't express what you want to express. So, in my opinion, these things have to be practiced together. So let's say even if I'm practicing a very difficult passage, I may have to, you know, play it slowly, play in different rhythmic patterns. But I always have to think about what I want to do with the phrase. So um, the physical, technical, and musical things are always intertwined. Mm -hmm. And given that you're familiar with a piece before you tackle it, is it also true that from the beginning you're beginning to hear it in your own way? Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, um, and, this, and this, of course, develops you know, as you get to know a piece better. It's one reason that uh, I, we were speaking about uh, the Elgar Concerto earlier, of course, um, as much as I worshipped, uh, well, I still worship uh, Jacqueline Dupre and her and her recordings. I had to force myself um, at a very early age to put them away, because I knew I needed to develop my own relationship with the with the cello repertoire. So I learned, I started learning the Elgar Concerto for the first time when I was twelve, and um, I remember putting the recording on the shelf, saying, "I can't listen to you for a while." And mm -hmm. it was it was kind of went through with withdrawal for a while, but um, then I, I knew that I needed to develop my own relationship with the score, which really is the the Bible, as it were. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about how you got into this whole cello playing business mm -hmm. to start with. Um, I've heard the story; maybe others have read it too, about how you started playing cello on a cereal box that your right. grandmother rigged up for you when you're about three, mm -hmm. and then you begged your parents for a real cello, um, which you got when you were four. Right. Why? What was it about the cello that you found so appealing? At that age, I really can't say, to be honest. Um, as as you say, uh, well, both my parents are wonderful musicians uh, and spent uh, better part of their days rehearsing and practicing in the house, which I loved. In fact, um, when I was uh, a toddler, um, I'd sit under the piano listening to my mother practice, and I'd be very, very unhappy if she didn't do her full three hours of practicing every morning. She was normally very disciplined. She always did about two to three hours in the morning you know, without fail, but I'd throw a fit if she didn't do her full amount. Um, hadn't gotten my music injection for the day. <laughs> um, and, um, of course, I, I, my father was the first violinist of the Cleveland Quartet and was um, still very active with the quartet at that time um, when I was a little girl. And um, his colleagues came over to the house all the time, so I don't know. I, I must have heard the cello and been very, very attracted to it. Um, I mean, if you, ask, if you were to ask me now, I think it's the most human-sounding of all instruments, really. Um, has the most capacity for range of emotion, it, the quite literal range of the human voice. Um, so it's also, it's a great chameleon. Mm -hmm. It can do anything. Mm -hmm. So, And uh, our repertoire is on the small side in comparison to the violin and piano repertoire, but um, what we have is, I think, maybe even more special. So <laughs> this is... Uh, 
Well, while you're talking about instrument, maybe this is a nice time for you to play something of your choice for us. Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'd love to play the prelude of the Bach C major suite. Fantastic. those deceptive endings that we yes. hear. Um, I was thinking as you're playing, I wouldn't mind listening to you rehearse for three hours every day. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's a big compliment. <laughs> um, I want to talk last about the Col Nidre piece yes. by Max Bruch on your CD. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about that piece? What drew you to it and why did you include it? Well, this is a piece I've actually been playing since I was eight it's, it's a concert piece, we call it. So it's, you know, it's kind of a very, very short 
concerto. And it's actually, uh, there's a very lovely version with piano as well. Um, it's, of course, um, Colnidre is uh, the opening prayer of the Yom Kippur service. Um, and so it's a extraordinarily tragic beginning. However, in the Bruch, you'll notice in the second half, uh, there's actually a Catholic melody, um, if I'm not mistaken. And so there's the theme of, I think, of a redemption. I mean, I don't get into the religious aspect of it, of course. I, for me, it's just beautiful music, so I'm very happy to play it. But um, uh, the reason, actually, that it's on this disc, it's a, it's a kind of um, interesting and kind of pra- uh, practical consideration. Um, the Elgar was recorded in April, and the Carter and the Brook were recorded in September. They're both uh, live recordings. Live, of course, um, you know, we, we patched... Um, before we they, we recorded the rehearsals and then we recorded uh, concerts, um, and the Carter concert. Uh, this was actually supposed to be a birthday celebration for Court Sunderling. So speaking of um, centenarians, um, Court Sunderling, however, died last year at the age of ninety nine. Mm. So he. Um, Can you tell listeners who he is? Court Sunderling uh, was a wonderful conductor who had uh, he, he was respected by. Uh, universally respected by musicians and uh, audiences worldwide. Um, and this concert was supposed to be a, a, a celebration of his works. And in fact, it did wind up being a celebration, but it was also, of course, a memorial concert. And it was Daniel Barnwein's idea to start the concert with the Kol Nidre as a tribute to him. And of course, it, uh, the time of year was also very appropriate. We did this in September, right around Rosh Hashanah. So, so we started with the Kol Nidre, and then we continued with the Carter Concerto. And... Um, the mics were on, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so this uh, wound up being um, on the recording, um, which I'm I'm very very happy about because I this is a very dear piece um, to me. So, and it sounds beautiful. The, the recording came out beautifully. Elisa, we're about to say goodbye, but we have you here in the studio. We have your cello. I can't yes. let you leave without playing something else for us. What do you have I'd, in mind? I'd love to. Um, I'd, lo- I'd love to continue along the vein that I was uh, doing, actually, and uh, play you the bourree from the C major suite of Bach. Great.
Lisa Weilerstein, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me on. Lisa Weilerstein's new album is just out from Decca Records. Her upcoming tour dates include Boston, California, St. Petersburg in Russia, and beyond. For more information, visit our website, talentmag.com. One last bit of information to share. We have reason to believe that by the time you hear this, our very own Sarah Ivory will be the proud mother of a baby girl or maybe a baby boy we don't actually know yet. In any case, from all of us at Tablet Magazine, Mazel Tov Sarah, we are thrilled. Needless to say, Sarah is not going to be hosting Vox Tablet for a little while. But don't worry, we have lots of great guest hosts lined up until she gets back, so please stay tuned. Vox Tablet is produced by me, Julie Subrin. Thank you so much for listening, and do come back next week. Thank you.